hello everybody to all our listeners we're so happy to have you here because guess what guess what guess what season one finale y'all we did it season one finale we did Woo-hoo! it i'm so excited we're gonna podcast about this day when in all reality i should be writing my book i should be writing some notes but instead we're making a podcast we're making a podcast Woo, i'm so excited megan are i'm so proud of you i am so Thank proud you. of you we made it through the whole first season of a show that you are being such a good sport about we made it such through the aliens about. we know we made it through Yes, everyone. Today is the day. Today is the day that we are going to talk about Roswell season one, episode 22. Density. Destiny. No. (laughs) (laughs) And this is how we're starting out. Listen, we don't even drink. This is just how we are sober. I am running on two hours and a very special 20 minutes of sleep. (laughs) And the very special 20 minutes came when Emily called and she's like, you're ready to podcast tonight? And I'm like, totally. And she says, I need time to set up. And I said, great. And then I just laid down on my floor and I took a nap until she called me back. So that's That's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Anyways, um, I feel like we should say a few words before we do the season finale, but I don't know what those words would be. Here lies... Season one of Roswell, it had its ups, it mostly had downs. That's not true. I think it all balanced out in the end. I think so, too. Uh, Here is where we play the in memoriam sequence, and we uh, play with funny music uh, jokes that we've made all season long. Yeah. Hello, hello. (laughs) I don't remember any of them, but... Oh, I do have one. I made a joke about you being a tumor. Oh, yeah. That's the best joke we've ever told on the podcast. We? No, your benign benign tumor joke was the funniest. After I be 32. um, My favorite was just in our last episode, he wants to torture his cake and interrogate it, too. (laughs) That was my favorite one. It's a good one. But yeah, there have been kisses, breakups, get backs together. Oh, sorry. We have to do the... I should save this for our wrap-up episode. Yeah, yeah. Tune in next week, everyone. I mean, in a fortnight. (laughs) Okay, enough. We're doing Roswell! I want to talk about Roswell and the season one finale, and so that we can get to the next season, which is my favorite. Okay. Doesn't make me hopeful for season three, actually. I, oh no, I gotta tell you now, I haven't actually seen season three. Emily? <laughs> I've seen the final episode. I have seen the final episode. That's what I've seen. That's season not three. enough. Because, because they changed the channel that it was on, and we didn't have that channel. Excuses, excuses. <laughs> Okay, so we pick up right where we left off, and uh-huh. that is them escaping the, the FBI stronghold. 
Yeah, like the Eagle Rock Mountain Brass Detention Center. <laughs> what is but, the place uh, Valenti- actually called? Oh, I don't know. Some oh, okay. they say it in the in the previous episode, but the sheriff shows up, had showed up in the last 20, 30 seconds of the last episode to help get Max out. So we've got Michael and the sheriff carrying poor, almost vivisectioned Max out of the detention center and through a chain link fence and they're uh, listen it is the 90s it is the 90s and i don't know this place just does not have great it doesn't have great security yeah because they're all just standing around and well i um they locked away most of the relevant agents they made it through the gate before it closed also um there were several deadly gunshot wounds where they nisado killed one guy for sure and then they shot nisado who looked like a different guy and he's currently registering as dead and pierce got shot too he pierce Mm -hmm. was pierced by bullets nicely done so i okay i'm not gonna say this is gonna sound stupid but i'm gonna say i love that they picked up right where they left off and it wasn't like oh 24 hours later or whatever everyone is there waiting outside the chain link fence with all of the cars they've got getaway cars clothes they've got a plan they're gonna go meet at this place um and we have our We've got our, our special cars. We've got the, the Red Jetta of Maria's. We've got the Sheriff's station wagon Jeep thingy. And we have the actual Jeep. So we have like the, the you know, char- the car characters. And they all go off in different directions. Yes. Characters. Okay, very nice. <laughs> it's important. And so here's, here's the thing. Because everyone has already predetermined who's going to be in what car and who's going where. And they send, obviously, Liz and Max in their own car. And there's a shot of Tess standing there looking kind of like, wait, I'm supposed to go with Max. And they're like, Tess, get in the car! And, like, send her to the right car. And I just kind of feel kind of bad for this girl who's here with all the answers and no one wants to, like, listen to her. Uh, I like it as a parallel to the scene last episode where everyone was getting comforted in the scene except Liz. Was that two mm. episodes ago? No, it was last no, episode. No, it was the last episode. Yeah. And I am, listen, Tess's storyline I am looking forward to in season two. Uh, I love stories of non-humans learning to be human. You know, seven of nine, Data, the emergency medical hologram. I'm sure there's non-Star Trek examples that could come up with if I really focus. <laughs> and I'm I'm looking forward to Tess in season two. Nice. Everybody takes off so that they can, you know, fool the FBI, I guess. And they all go in different directions, which is really, really smart. Max um, looks bad. <laughs> he really does. Like, he's sweaty and pale and everything. And poor, poor Liz. Like, she's just, like, stroking his face. And I just love it. Like, they're about to have this tender moment, and all of a sudden, machine gun opens fire, and the back of the the back of the car, the window is gone, and yep. there's agents chasing them. And so they have to get off the road and Into run the through the wilderness in the dark. Okay. Poor Max, who's, like, suffering. I want to I wanna talk positively about the cinematography in this scene. 
It is okay. very hard to film things in the dark because what do cameras do? They pick up the light. Um, there's what this... isn't there a lot of in the nighttime? Light. Light. <laughs> so a lot of times, uh, one of the ways this is done is something called day for night where they shoot it during the day and then they just color grade it down to look very blue or gray. Um, but they had a couple shots in here. And, and, and when you don't color grade, you generally just have one large light source that's the fake moon or whatever and i think the way they light their night scenes in roswell is very good the one shot in particular i really loved is max and liz get out of the car and there's no light on them at all but all of the dust that's being kicked up is being illuminated by the headlights so they're like perfect silhouettes uh and it was just it was a beautifully composed shot and i liked it very much very reminded me of roger deacon stuff who was uh he's a famous live action cinematographer but he uh was a not special guest but he was a a special artist invited to dreamworks for how to train your dragon because they made a a big focus of realistic cinematography and lighting for that movie i didn't know that that's Mm -hmm. very cool yeah because i'm the sort of viewer I don't have a background in all of that, so I'm trying not to feel like, well, I didn't know that. But, like, I just sit there and be like, yeah, of course, of course we're going to be able to see these people, even though it's nighttime. But it makes me think of, and Megan, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I believe it was a scene from Lord of the Rings, and Elijah was saying, like, well, where's the light coming from, Pete? Where's the light coming from? It was Sean Austin, but yeah. It was Sean Austin. Okay. And Peter Jackson finally goes, it's, the light comes from where the orchestra music comes from, okay? That's just how movie magic works. Uh, So I'm going to do a quick, quick correction on your very fun story. Um, I am fairly sure that it wasn't Peter Jackson who said that, but it was Andrew Lesney who was the cinematographer for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Perfect. Because I just sit and I'm just like, I'm watching a movie. And of course I need, of course I'm able to see this because I need to see it. And therefore I don't even have to think about it because they make it look very natural. Like there's no floodlights or whatever. Right? It's visual storytelling. Yeah. I didn't watch Game of Thrones. But I very closely followed the final season on Twitter when everyone was having meltdowns, rightfully so, about it. And what is it, the last big giant battle where there was, like, no lighting for the giant battle? (laughs) See, that's if you do it realistically, but your audience can't see it, and it's frustrating, and so then you don't like it. Yeah, so if you don't want to put light on your characters, then you have to put light in your scene somewhere. Um, Have you seen the James Bond movie Skyfall? That's the one where he ends up at a at a Scottish house in the Highlands with Dame Judi Dench. That's right. Okay, so uh, Roger Deakins, who I mentioned earlier, he was the cinematographer for Skyfall. Um, mm-hmm. And there is a nighttime scene where the house is on fire. Um, and it's, it's like what I mentioned earlier. So Bond is just purely silhouetted, but it's the smoke that's lit. And so you can see him in front of it. Okay, so the very, very basics of clearly lighting a subject is light in front of dark, dark in front of light. Okay. That if you have a dark background and a dark object, like these kids at night who are running away, uh, you need to have something separating them. So like you'll, 
uh, through this beginning night scene, this chase with Liz and Max and the Phoebe agents. Um, they're always lit from behind, so they have a rim light around them, and it separates them from the foreground and the background. And so the Game of Thrones fight that you are talking about was lit very dimly. They wanted to have only practical lighting in the scenes, I'm going to guess, that it was just torches. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, it's supposed to feel like the forces of darkness are here and they're winning. And it's bad. But if you think about basically the, the largest scale fantasy night war scene that everyone thinks of is Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings. And Emily, what is the weather doing in Helm's Deep? It's raining. It's raining. Yeah. But even though it's raining, you have very strong, clear blue light all the way through Helm's Deep, even though technically the moon would be covered up by the clouds because they're using it to divide their subjects from their backgrounds. And I I remember reading an interview with the Game of Thrones cinematographer when that episode came out. People kind of took the mickey out of this guy because he said, okay, if you watched it the way it was intended to be watched on a big screen TV in a dark living room, you should be able to see the scene just fine because that's where they would worked on it. That's where they would have color graded it is in a, is in a dark, is in a dark room. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's the modern era and we're watching this with our friends because it's the Game of Thrones final season and we're watching with the light on in the, you know, the other room where we're watching mm-hmm. it on our phone and, and you have to take into account what your audience is like, how your audience is going to be watching it as well when you're lighting your scene. There you go. That's my story. That's a great story. I feel this whole season that I've really liked the lighting and cinematography on Roswell. Hopefully that continues into season two. Distinct style. I have a question, and I don't know if you'll know the answer to this, because watching them run through the the wilderness and, you know, crawling through things and everything, they've set it up, so I guess it's like moonlight. Uh-huh. But eventually Liz and Max make it onto like this giant bridge, and it's a very wide shot. Mm-hmm. But you can't see, obviously, any of the lights. I just wonder, like... Is it floodlights that are, like, really, really far away to give it, like, that soft? Yes. Okay, do you know that? Have you (laughs) seen TV lights are amazing? Okay, remember when you get your picture taken on school picture day and the light would be pointed at an umbrella? Mm-hmm. to like diffuse it so they don't have a giant spotlight because a spotlight is a very focused beam they will have and you can see this on behind the scenes of of stuff they would have just a huge lighting globe all right and they would have those turned on and while it is a very wide shot they just have to make sure that the lights are set up just outside of where the camera can see okay so The thing with live action is every single shot, every single angle you see is specifically lit. You have to have very specific lights on your actors. In a nighttime scene like this, you have to have very specific lights on your background. So when they're doing these sequences, they will take the time to do specific lighting setups for every single camera setup and every single shot. Have you ever heard of the term a stand-in? Yes. Do you know what a stand-in does in a movie, Emily? 
So they stand, and so they can test lighting and stuff. It's and someone who is similar build mm-hmm. and height and weight as the actors, so that the yeah. actors don't have to come and do tech week every single yeah. week. <laughs> and that's so the actors can go, like, sit in their trailer or run lines or Learn whatever. Lines. Yeah. And then their stand-in is, is literally just there so that they can match lighting to the actors, like you said, skin tone, hair color, all that sort of stuff. So there you go. So, yeah, to answer your question, they have giant lights not only lighting up Liz and Max, but in this wide shot, they are lighting up all of the hills behind them so you can see it. Mm -hmm. Like, they have to light the outdoors at night. And they do have some practical lights in the scene with the headlights and the flashlight that the FBI guy is carrying. And that does bring a level of realism to it. But Mm -hmm. you can't just have practical sources only in a scene you've got to have your storytelling sources as well yeah yeah um speaking of storytelling uh-huh. megan and i both rolled our eyes just a little bit of this scene because it's dire they're getting chased through the forest by the fbi and they're on the road and they're hemmed in at every corner by cars and agents and everything and so liz and max climb up on the edge of the bridge and stand there and look and look and look at each other, and then look at the FBI agents, and then at each other, and then the FBI agents, and then down on the ground, and then, as they're as the agents are slowly, slowly closing in, they take the time to kiss. They kiss. Which listen, I love, I love kissing, but I'm like, this is not the time. This is not the time to kiss. This is the time to already have jumped off the bridge so that you can mm-hmm. escape for real. I understand why they did that. I'm just saying. Oh, it's not the time. <laughs> hey, I sent you a screenshot. Don't even worry. Like, don't look at it. Okay. There's been a new Chrome update and you can no longer take screenshots of media. Dang it. Uh, you take it with your phone. Oh, actually, that's a really smart idea. Thank you. I'm, I'm just, I just, well, if you could go to time code 4048. It's the very, very wide shot where they're very small on the bridge. I was just admiring the lighting in this shot. And you can see the cliffside behind them have a very strong light source up on the mm-hmm. cliffs. Yeah. And but it also plays off as moonlight. It Yeah, it plays off as moonlight. And if you notice, the road is reflective. We are once again getting our favorite Roswell trick of spraying the roads down with water to reflect the lights on the scene and give more artistic interest to the scene. So I'm going to be critical for a second. Yes, do it. Which I feel a little bit bad doing, but they jump off this bridge into not very a river. much water. Yeah, Roswell, I mean again, we don't know if this is in Roswell or whatever, but it's clearly in a desert still. That is ankle deep at best. Oh, right? And like Listen, I had I had the same thought. That's not a can save your life river. Yeah. That's a ankles shattered. But you know what? Maybe the drugs that suppressed Maxwell's alien powers have worn off and he is now able to save them through alien <laughs> alien magics. But it's very exciting in a in a adrenaline action adventure way. It fits perfectly with the sort of story that they are telling. So I don't mm-hmm. really have a problem with it. I'm just pointing out 
realistically. Yep. There we go. Although that's kind of, okay, listen, I say that would be exciting. I don't know. To be in that situation where you have to run and jump and swim and I don't know. It's, I I still like the show. I'm going to watch the first season again when we're done with this. So I was a lifeguard at uh, Disney's Typhoon Lagoon and they have the largest outdoor wave pool in North America. And so one of the final things you had to do as a lifeguard to get your certification is you had to jump off of the wave wall, which was a like eight foot drop into a six foot pool. Mm -hmm. And you very you had to jump off a very specific way. Uh, You basically had to do a cannonball, but keep your feet flexed, keep your feet straight because they're like... So your feet would hit, like, bottom of the feet or you'd go toes first? No, bottom of the feet. Bottom of the feet. Because okay. there was... Falling from that height, there was just enough water to slow you down just enough for your feet to land on the very bottom of the pool. So okay. you'd jump from this height, you'd hit the water, and then you would want to make sure your feet were flexed because if your toes were pointed, you would land on the bottom of the pool and potentially break your foot bones. Ooh. Yeah. Um, what? What's? What's? You're the one that's always like Disney and safety and yeah. What are the four? The four things that just doesn't sound safe to be like. You could potentially break your foot bones doing this. You could, but if someone else is dying in the pool, you have oh, to get you in were there. A lifeguard. I'm so I was sorry. a lifeguard, I'm so sorry. Emily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guarding other. Yeah, no guests were not allowed to jump off the wave wall. Like, got it. Clearly. Got it. My one regret is that that was the one position I didn't actually perform a rescue. I rescued at every other stand in the park. Um, But everyone was just acting really safe every time I was guarding the deep end of the wave pool. Thanks a lot. (laughs) I did win lifeguard of the day like three times. And that's very, I'm very proud of that. Congratulations. For saving lives. Not just for my sparkly personality. <laughs> Although you should have won just for that alone. I should have won for that alone. <sighs> so Liz and Max have not broken any bones. And nope. they have, they've made it through the river to the point where the river is trickling down and it's really only like ankle and shin length and it's, a, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And Liz, A+. Plus, a plus for Liz because she is hauling. She's just like running and is literally dragging Max because he is falling over every other step, mm-hmm. and like biffing it. And she is getting him to safety. Yes, Liz. And it's very, do you remember what I said when we were watching this? How smart it no. was of them to stay in the river? Oh, yeah. Tell them why. Why is it smart? Uh, If the FBI came searching for them with dogs, uh, staying in the river would disguise their scent trail for longer. Very good. Uh, They run into, they find like a abandoned, some abandoned RVs, abandoned trailers. Here we get one of those other beautiful shots where the smoke is lit, but the actors are not. But we still get like this beautiful silhouette. Again, Mm -hmm. we're... This is just going to be the cinematography appreciation hour for Roswell, I guess. They kiss more. Oh, hey, audience, she I'm going to spoil it of... right now. They break up at no, the end don't, of this episode. Don't, 
Don't spoil that no. now. Emily, they would have watched the episode before they listened to our podcast. Did you guys all? Did you? <laughs> you should. We are not a market substitute. <laughs> <laughs> so Liz gets MVP from me, even though at the end, she's the one that breaks up at the end. I think I find no fault in her in this whole episode. I am a Liz fan today and always okay because she's like comforting him and like holding him and they're kissing and then she starts getting flashes of everything that happened to him hey i have things to say about flashes i think i've said them before but i think this is a liz thing she has a skill to read aliens minds when she kisses them because maria does not see this and Liz sees it both when she kisses Max and when she kisses Nisado. So it's not just about a specific connection between her and Max. Mm-mm. We'll need Liz to kiss all the aliens to make sure I'm right. <laughs> Use your hypothesis. <laughs> so while they are having a, I'm not even going to say tender moment. They're having like a quick breather between being chased down. We flash back to the Jeep where we've got Max and Maria, Isabel and Tess, and... Alex. They've squished everybody into the into the Jeep. They are arguing and arguing about what to do next because Tess is freaking out that Nisado was left behind. And Michael's just telling her, I'm sorry, he's dead. He got shot. There's nothing we can do about it. She is insistent that they they turn around, telling him without Nisado, we have nothing. Uh, they, they decide to go to the rendezvous point first, but then I think they, they decide to fold back after. Oh yeah, because the sheriff takes Michael. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they decide that they're going to keep going in the mine. Um, in a mine. (laughs) In a mine. And so, we're a million aliens are dying. (laughs) Liz is freaking out over, I think, everything that happened to Max. And I don't know... I mean, it's kind of explained that she can feel the feelings of of the flashes she's getting. Like when Max allows her to see how he feels about her, like she could feel that. So I'm wondering if she literally lived everything that Max did just then. That's rough, buddy. It is rough. And she's upset because she now knows that, quote unquote, Tess is destined for Max and Max is destined for Tess. And... Ugh, and destiny what a load of crock <laughs> but max is just like you kept me alive through all of that you were the one anytime <laughs> they did anything to me you were the one who kept me alive why are you laughing you laughed because at torture at a very inappropriate know, time last week I what know. are you laughing at now i laughed at the moment when he's like what got me through it was remembering you that's sweet. That's fine. And then he says, the feel of your skin. And I'm like, the bubble bath is back to haunt me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never be free of the skeebies. <laughs> he confesses his love for her, that he wants to be with her. And he tells her he loves her. And she says it back. Um, does he tell her he loves her during the blind date when he's drunk? I don't remember, but I feel I like know. this is a very big, very big moment. It all feels like such a waste because they don't stay together. 
I'm sick of <sighs> I'm sick of watching teenagers break up and get back together. <laughs> I'm sick of it. <laughs> anyway, he's like, you make me human. Listen, as glib as I'm being, both the actors are acting the heck out of this. They're they've got both of these actors have these big brown doe eyes. And they're just looking at each other with all the love in the world. And Sherry Appleby is even getting the glistening of tears. And they just keep touching each other's faces and then slurping each other's mouths. And it's like, get a room, you two. I mean, technically they have. Listen, you guys, I'm not a Grinch. I like romance in my media. But I I just wish these teen... I wish these teenagers could be more adult about it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and by that I mean, uh, I mean, uh, they're determined. The relationship talks are always just, are we together or are we breaking up? And I'm like, no, yeah. no, no. You need to work through your problems as a couple. Don't just instantly break up whenever something gets slightly inconvenient or feelings hurt. Yeah. And now, listen, jumping to the other side of this, this is not me saying stay in a bad relationship. But what I am saying is that no relationship is perfect and every life like brings challenges. And a lot of their challenges are external. So like it's it's completely different. If your partner is like mean to you and is cruel to you, that's no, that's not what you work through. But if your partner is like my destiny is an alien is to maybe marry this other girl. You can choose not to marry that other girl, okay? That's a choice you can have. And uh, anyway, that's not even I... a choice you should be thinking of in high school anyway, even if that's the choice in front of you. Yeah. Anyway, fuel's getting added to the fire because Michael and Maria are also having a moment because um, Michael is going with the sheriff back to the Eagle Mountain FBI Medical Division Center uh, to go get... What's the acronym for that? Uh, We're going to call it Emmy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We're going to call it the Eagle Mountain Medical Institute. That's not what it really is, but that's what it is now. I I like that they put that in there because at first I'm just like, oh, come on. Come on. Is this really the time to do this? But... You remember the last time that they had any discussion about their relationship at all, it was Michael saying he didn't care about their stupid relationship because uh-huh. he thought Isabel was pregnant. And so I like that it shows that they are on the same page. They don't have to have this big talk. They just, I like that about Michael and Maria is that they they just kind of get where each other are sometimes without having to say anything. I just think that's really cute. You say it best. When you say nothing at all. (laughs) But um, this is, I'm not going to say the first time the sheriff and Michael are alone in a car, but it's really kind of the first one-on-one, not even alone in a car. It's like I thought it was the first time they were alone in a car. Sorry, I, I said alone in a car. I meant this isn't really the first time we've seen Michael and the sheriff on screen mm-hmm. at the same time, but it's the first time it's one-on-one. And if well, you remember, the sheriff only he... thinks there is one alien. 
Uh, he did for a little bit suspect Michael of killing Hank in Independence Day. <laughs> so he did interrogate him there. But yeah, so he just he just thinks, like you said, he thinks Max is the only alien and that he's just with one of Max's human buddies. And I'm like, oh, I you were there, Emily, when I was watching the finale, when the sheriff realizes there are more than there is more than one alien. The look on his face, I was like, finally, you imbecile. <laughs> it's because Listen, the way that it happened. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's exactly what we were talking about last week with Pierce, who's already convinced he knows all the answers and therefore is not interested in gathering any new information or intelligence. The sheriff mm-hmm. has been convinced from day one it's Max and only Max. And I'm like... Yep. If you had any kind of investigative skill at all, you would put together the pieces that two other orphaned children showed up at the same time as Max. And obviously, that's too big of a chance to be a coincidence. Come on, man. Come on. He doesn't have those investigative skills, which is a shame because they come upon Liz and Max running down the road with like this giant Hummer Jeep driving straight for them. And so the sheriff gets out of the car with the gun. Also, remember, call back, gun safety 101. Don't put your finger in the trigger well unless you're ready to shoot. So maybe he was. But the sheriff's standing there with his finger on the trigger pointing it in the general direction of Max and Liz and the FBI agents. Do you know what? This season started the way it ended with very bad gun safety. Oh, I want to talk about I want to talk about the shot where Max and Liz are running from the Jeep. Go for it. Uh, cinematography time. So, the different lenses you can use on a camera. Uh, you can use different basically lengths of lenses. And the shorter a lens, the less compressed everything in your shot will be. And the mm-hmm. longer a lens, uh, like a zoom lens, basically the more the more flattened everything slightly looks. Okay. So you know that famous dolly zoom from Jaws? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, do you remember how a dolly zoom is done? I, the only way I remember what a dolly zoom is, it happens in Lord of the Rings. It does. So a dolly zoom is when you're moving a camera back on a dolly track while you're zooming in with the lens at the same time. So while you're moving farther away from your subject, you're still manipulating your lens so it's compressing everything closer. And if, if you guys look at either of these famous dolly zoom shots that we've mentioned, you'll be able to see how the different length of a lens will compress uh, what's in a, what's in a shot. This is me saying that if you have an actor and a car behind them and you're shooting it on a shorter lens, the car will look very far. But if you want it to seem like your actors are in very immediate danger of being run over by a giant red Jeep driven by the FBI, if you shoot that on a zoom lens, it will make it look like the Jeep is a lot closer to the actors, but you don't have to worry about your gung-ho stunties maybe hitting the gas a little too hard and flattening your talent. 
Anyway, I just, I, I, I spotted the lens usage to compress the space. And I thought you'd like to hear about it. I did. Thank you. These are just the things I know as a director. <laughs> uh, so I'm, a, I'm now, yes, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, I'm a director for animation now. It's very exciting. Yes! We're so proud of her! Um, and in animation, we actually have to be mindful of what camera lens we're trying to emulate in our artwork. Like, sometimes we will fake a fisheye lens or we will fake a zoom lens. And so even if it's drawn or computer generated, you still have to know lenses, camera work, and cinematography. So now, and now I'm going to teach all of you stuff, even though I'm pretty sure I didn't use the right terminology talking about lenses. I just know the little notes that I write to myself when I'm messing around with my actual camera at my house. <laughs> <sighs> I'm a fraud. You're not a fraud. But Michael might be a murderer. Yeah. <gasps> he finally gets to murder people. He's been waiting all season. He sheriff- doesn't actually get to... He tries, though. He it's tries. not his fault he's bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> because the sheriff, like we said, sheriff has stopped, finger in the trigger well. Michael stands there and, like, his whole hand lights up and it stops, it stops the car from coming any closer and everything is enveloped in this bright white light. And that's when the sheriff's like, whoa, faces on, you know, kind of being like, oh my gosh, everything that I know is being rewritten. And what's my favorite is that this whole bit is played in slow motion. So you (laughs) see the, so we're cutting to Michael glowing hand. You see the sheriff look at Michael. They cut back to the glowing hand. They cut back to the sheriff. He pauses for a second. And then... Back at the FBI agents, and you just see like his soul turning to ash inside his body <laughs> as he's putting the pieces together and realizing, I am the worst detective in the state of New Mexico, <laughs> possibly the nation. <laughs> so they're able to get out, and the thing is that. And I don't know if this is because it's a show for, I'm going to say kids, but teens, if it shows like, hey, look, they're okay. Because as the sheriff and everyone, they get Liz and Max in the car, they drive away. They show the FBI agents getting out of that car and they're okay. So I don't know if this was like a. Um, I don't think, I don't think it's because it's a show for kids. Um, Although Legend of Korra had this problem every time. Uh, one of the main characters in Legend of Korra blew up a plane with someone in it. They had to add a shot of the pilot jumping out with a parachute. You could blow up the planes, but not the people inside. Anyway, <laughs> I think it's because it's going to be very story significant when Michael kills someone. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to waste his first kill on these FBI goons. They'd rather <laughs> save it for a mammal that cares. <laughs> but going back with the sheriff so they get out of the car everyone's just been silent this whole time and they get to the mine and he's like we'll be safe here and you know michael thinks he's killed people so he gets out and kind of stalks away and and the sheriff 
I think also finally puts together. He's just like, so Michael's an alien? And Matthew's like, uh-huh. And he's like, Isabel's an alien? And then Max is like, uh-huh. And like the sheriff goes, Woo! Man! Like it's his right, reaction, sheriff. I love. I love that we got to see him figure it out. I think that just speaks to him as a character. Yeah. Sit, go, you can go sit down by the wall, Sheriff. Put your head between your knees. The feeling will pass in a second. <laughs> and, and Max steps it up here. Max steps it up here because he's just like, listen, you said we could trust you. You have to, like, you have to let us trust you and you have to trust us. Like, Max kind of gives him a lecture about, like, this is serious. This isn't funny. This isn't a hoax. This is real. And this is our lives. And the sheriff's like, well, it's my life too. So tell me everything. I'm like, it's not about you. It's my life. My dad was obsessed. And I'm left to clean up his mess. But Max really does tell him everything that he knows. Which is, we don't know why we're here. Like, we're just aliens. We live here. Here's everyone else that knows it's a very short list. And now you're on it. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to hurt anybody. We just want to stay alive. Like, he's being very, Max is being very truthful, very open, very honest. Mm -hmm. And Sheriff Um, is still, like, is not computing, does not compute. Because he's just like, oh my gosh, my dad was right. And in this yeah. situation, my dad would have turned you guys in by now. And Max is like, well, are you going to be your dad? You're going to be your own person sort of thing. I got to say, we've been giving this show grief over the last few episodes, being like, oh, the sheriff's just suddenly good now. And it's been clear that, like, even though the sheriff's like, I'm good, I'm trustworthy, I don't think that's paid off until this episode. And yeah. so I think were I to, in a fit of madness, rewatch season one, <laughs> um, knowing where this episode landed, uh, I think I'd be able to give the rest of the season a lot more grace. Okay. Grace! But they're not safe yet, even though they're at the mine, because Tess wants to go rescue Nisato. This is their, their world council chambers of, like, what are we going to do? We can't stay here forever. You know, maybe we should just leave Roswell, like leave. And Michael's like, I think that's a good idea. I think he's freaking out. I think he's really freaking out over the fact that he thinks he's killed someone, which, you know, listen, yeah. But but they have a life here now. Even Michael. Michael's been the one from day one, really, who's just like, I don't have anyone. But no, he does. Even if he doesn't think that all these people are his friends, they're his friends. <laughs> Poor Sheriff. I mean, congrats, ma'am. But, man, that poor sheriff. I'm still thinking about it. But, yeah. I think it's interesting that we have seen, um, and listen, I don't know if this, I don't know if this is on purpose or what. Costumery. We haven't talked a lot about costumery in this show. But, yeah. uh, I feel that Michael is typically in darker colors. It just seemed strange to me that he was in a white t-shirt for this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think he wore a, a white or a light colored shirt when he was the fry cook, 
But it, it just seemed kind of striking to me that Max is in dark colors for this episode and Michael's in white colors. I don't know why I particularly noted it this time. But you did. So they kind of are like laying out the ground rules or principles of, okay, either we leave and never come home and we're hunted by the FBI our entire lives or we take a final stand. Like this is season finale stuff, you know. This is it. This is it. Oh. And everybody's hugging goodbye. And then uh, my favorite, my favorite line is that we have to fight. Fight the most elite unit in the FBI. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for being a Debbie Downer. <laughs> so they're all trying to figure out what to do. Wait, I have a tangent. Have I'm a ready. Tangent. Tangent so I'm listening. I'm listening to this Grey's Anatomy podcast. Mm-hmm. It's called Grey's Academy. And I like Adorable. it a lot. And I'm all caught up. And now I can write them. I can write them and say, You fools. Yes, Katherine Heigl was on television before Grey's Anatomy. They're like, oh, Grey's Anatomy was her first big role in television. And I'm like, that's absolutely untrue. And... Uh, okay, you know that Tumblr post that's like, the closest thing to being a ghost is when your podcast hosts you're listening to are trying to remember a piece of trivia you already know? Mm-hmm. There is a bit where one of the hosts was on IMDb, and they're like, yeah, she was only in like one made-for-TV movie. And I just wanted to yell at them and be like, you're only looking at her previous filmography. You gotta look at her previous television roles. So I'm gonna write them and be like, hey, love the podcast. You're very wrong about Catherine. <laughs> Listen like, to my podcast. <laughs> yeah, how dare you discount her previous role as an Isabel. <laughs> Isabel. <laughs> Isabel. So, so they've kind of decided to, to take a stand, but meanwhile, the sheriff is listening in on his radio and has taken his badge off and is looking at it and pondering and being like, am I a man or a Muppet? Like, that's like, a, oh. that's the vibe I'm getting. Are we the buddies? But he overhears on the radio. Pierce. Pierce is on the radio. Yep, and Pierce is going after Kyle. <gasps> Kyle is going to be the damsel in distress. He so Pierce finally is... gets to come yeah. back. We've missed him so much. Yeah, I do not envy the FBI agent that has to babysit an honorary jock. No, because he is just like, what is going on? This is stupid. And I will say this. Oh, no, we're not quite there yet, but I'm going to talk about the second jump scare of the whole show which is um, when max punches the dude uh can i talk about where we are at so as yes, they're watching yes. the fbi agent in the van some extras walk past on scene and there is a woman holding a multicolored donkey pinata under her arm just walking across the street with it and i'm like what who made that choice <laughs> well, there's pinatas. Okay, I don't know if this is relevant or not, but there are pinatas hanging up next to the Crashdown Cafe. Okay. I don't know if Why? it's... <laughs> I don't know if it's like a Cinco de Mayo thing or, I, I mean... I wonder if they got it from uh, 
Is it Senor Senor? It's not Senor Chang. That's from Community. Chow. Senor Chow. Yeah. Senor Chow's, the Mexican Chinese fusion restaurant. <laughs> Maybe because they bought the other the person is holding a bag of leftovers takeout. <laughs> so I bet that's where they were. Those are good eyes, Megan. The runs deeper than we know. <laughs> But they've spotted FBI agents kind of all over. Like, you know, there's the one watching Kyle that's supposed to keep him safe. And then there's one on the streets. And so what Tess has done is she uses her alien powers to project into these. Which, listen, I understand you. Okay. I, I'm feeling so judgy tonight. I, I'm going to pre-apologize if I sound too harsh. Why can't she just do one at a time? Because well, she's supposed no to go story. into their... They're supposed to go into their into their brains and make them see Agent Pierce, and he's going to give them different orders. But she does two at a time, and it fizzles out with the one that Kyle is watching Kyle. And Kyle's just watching this man talk to thin air, and then the thing fizzles out, and Kyle's just like, what is going on? And the agent's like, I, what do you mean? What is going on? And he's freaking out. And then, second Max jump scare of the series. Him and jump scares Emily. You too. Don't you put this on me. You I don't yelled too. Jumping. You yelled. You I did don't it. I remember that. I was there. Both of us were very it scared. sound like me. I'm perfectly emotionally <laughs> leveled. Never been startled in my life. On the other hand, one of us threw a tantrum over the height of a fictional character earlier today. Because it was the final battle. And you were just like, he looks completely <laughs> different than what you think he looks like. In the final battle, we've written, we've read a thousand pages and we're at the final battle. And all of a sudden, my entire world is just the rug is yanked out from underneath my feet. And Megan thinks it's hilarious. Something changed. Something important. <laughs> Something changed. <laughs> Anyways. Um, oh, yeah. Max shoves the now unconscious FBI agent into the closet and is bossy. Kyle is just not having this. Oh my gosh. I love every scene with Kyle in it. He is also the MVP player. We've got Liz as MVP one and Kyle is MVP two. It's Kyle's time to shine. <laughs> and then well, he, he tries. Very sadly, the wall of guns is gone. However, yeah. Kyle goes to significantly look at a cabinet of guns. And wouldn't you know it, they were all made by a Mr. Anton Chekhov. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because all, all, okay, I think in this situation, a lot of times people go, there's no time. We can't tell you what's going on. When there really is time to sit down and tell people what's going on. I think in this situation... Max has no time to explain what's going on. Mm -hmm. But Kyle is the sort of person that is, I mean, they have so much antagonism together that Max coming to Kyle and saying, we're working with your dad. He doesn't want you there. Don't come follow us. Do exactly as I say. That is not going to fly. Even though Max literally has no time to tell him what's going on. And how are you supposed to explain 
to this kid. Aliens. Aliens, yeah. So I think that was a good storytelling point. But here is a great scene. And I mean, I guess I'm going to spoil it. Anyway, the, the, the sheriff comes to Pierce and kind of plays up, hey, I'm in over my head. I'm willing to give you all the information you want as long as you can put me in witness protection, me and my son, if we're going to, me and my son and my dad, uh, mm-hmm. we need to be okay. And we're made to believe that he is going to betray the kids. Now, Emily, did you buy yes. this twist? I'm going to say no because I've seen season two and I know how the sheriff is. But yeah. at the same time, I couldn't quite remember if... Okay, here's here's what I was thinking. Because, again, hopefully you've seen this episode. Because Kyle gets shot. I thought maybe the sheriff really had betrayed them. And that is what brought him over to the kid's side once Max heals him. Oh, okay. Because I couldn't remember this specific episode even though I'd seen it. So that was what I was thinking. And I was like, I love betrayal. And I was kind of hoping that the sheriff really was betraying him and that the kids like knew he had betrayed him and chose to help him anyway. But they were, they're in on the secret the whole time. Um, The sheriff is supposed to get Pierce to the UFO center so that they can do whatever they need to do with their next part of the plan. So, yeah, I, I, I thought, I'm like, okay, this is shenanigans. This is shiplanigans. Uh-huh. Um, but it's a very good shiplanigan because if it fails, the sheriff will still be covered. Mm-hmm. So it, was a, it yeah. was a plan that would have benefited him either way, but I knew he was on the side of the angels. I mean the <laughs> aliens. Um, Pierce and the sheriff show up at the UFO center and Sheriff kind of plays up his role again. The kids show up and are able to take them down and tie Pierce to a chair. And then Max gets to interrogate Agent Pierce and show him how it's done. Yeah. Do you know what? He was so much better at it. Kid is a natural in, in torture gator. Because I, I would... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I mean scary setting mm-hmm. threatening auras mm-hmm. follow through on promises mm-hmm. i mean i listen did you mention that michael takes the sheriff away as part of a goof yeah i mean okay the, yeah. we were, we show that the sheriff's on our side yeah yeah uh yeah so so michael takes the sheriff away being like oh my gosh i trusted you like they're playing it a little longer making it look like the sheriff betrayed us but like yeah. max has set the ambiance and to do what I I would have bought it that he would have tortured that guy and I was like good job Max maybe you can join the FBI show him how it's done because here's the thing I listen I would have bought Max hurting Pierce I am not advocating for torture that is the <laughs> carte blanche <laughs> statement of the day but I'm just saying like it it would have been a really ironic twist of just like. This kid is so much stronger than you thought, and you have messed up by torturing this kid because now he has no reason not to hurt you. Yeah. You know, and I think Max is playing that up because the plan is Max is going to ask him all these questions, and Isabel's going to try dreamwalking in Agent Pierce's head to get the answers because they don't mm-hmm. believe 
Pierce is necessarily going to tell them everything. Right. But I've got to feel like that's ratcheting the tension up for Pierce to be like, I'm pretty helpless and this kid's pissed at me. There's not really a way out of this. But their their plan is to figure out where Nisado is. Because is he still alive? Can we save him? You know, that's... He helped them escape. That's what they're trying to do. Well, 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 Pierce. If it isn't the consequences of your own actions. Yeah. But they... They wrap up a lot of things in this this next scene because they're able to find out that Nisado is dead. The FBI has his body. They know where they're going to take it. Um, and everyone's like, I'm so sorry, Tess. Like, I am so sorry. Because this is her basically dad figure. And she's upset, uh-huh. but she's just like, no, we can bring him back. We can bring him back to life. Where's Riverdog? And, and... She finds out that they have the healing stones. <laughs> Here's where it all comes together. <laughs> uh, I like the conversation that just follows with the sheriff and Max, where uh-huh. the sheriff reveals he has no intention of turning Pierce over to the authorities. He's actually planning to kill him. That's right. <laughs> and Michael is like, Wait, murder is okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been listening to the wrong mentor. <laughs> yeah. So I think the reason they have this scene is to lay out very clearly, we the good guys have no choice but to murder this man. And it will be okay <laughs> because it will be in the service of protecting the other good guys. And if we didn't kill him, it would be a mistake. And so uh, I thought it was interesting that they laid this out here in order to absolve the murder of Pierce a couple scenes later, uh, because we don't want to think that Michael's turning into Zane from Star Wars EU just yet. (laughs) Although I still think it's going to happen. I still think it's going to happen. Question, though. I mean, if you're in the situation and you have someone who has a lot of power and a lot of authority who is really a danger to you and the people that you love what what i mean in this situation they have all these alien powers i think they could pull like a i'm sure some like amnesiac shenanigans or whatever but what would like do you have a solution or suggestion on what they should have done or what what another thing they they could have have done instead all right Here's the thing. In a fictional setting, in a story, I am always for killing that person. (laughs) (laughs) But you're asking me if in my real life, do I have a plan? I don't know if this is the trolley problem all over or not, but I'm just interested in what you would would say. It kind of is. uh, Because as the sheriff has laid out before, this man has killed multiple times before. And uh, will definitely torture to death our other aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trolley problem logic dictates, and also Spock logic dictates, you know, uh, lives of the many outweigh the lives of the few or the one. <laughs> if Pierce died, that would technically be the last death needed to stop the killing because we're not planning 
planning on killing anyone else. But the problem is, is that while Pierce is enacting these death choices, murder intentnesses all on his own, he is part of a larger system. He is not the first person to be in charge of this uh, alien hunting unit. And his predecessors shared the same views on the value of alien life. So if you kill Pierce, you would have to kill the guy who took his spot and then the guy who took his spot. And like, how many down the line are you willing to go? And is that kicking the anthill? Would that bring more heat down on you? Um, I think the way that they ended up solving it in the episode, uh, spoilers, yeah, spoilers, Nisado shapeshifts into Pierce and takes his place. So, uh, in real life, I don't know what I would do because the other option they have is turning Pierce over to the authorities, but Pierce is the authorities. He outranks everyone here and outranks anyone that we know. So... Uh, I am very lucky to not be in this position in real life. So I would think in a, in a position like this, you would want to offer that person something that they want in order, like as a trade-off. And I don't want to get into like, will they betray you in the end or won't they? Because I'm sure they would in the end. But short of giving Pierce Max back, what do you think they could offer him that would make him like reconsider what he wants to do nothing yeah i don't i don't think there is anything like like there is no he is a very one note villain and to bring back something you said earlier if we had met him earlier in the season if we had met this dep if we had met and befriended this deputy earlier in the season this might be different mm-hmm. but from the moment we heard about him from Topolsky, all we know about this guy is he is an incessant, obsessive alien hunter. Mm-hmm. And there is no wiggle room in his worldview for any new ideas. I mean, it took us 22 episodes to even, like, get the sheriff to budge a little. <laughs> yeah. Because he thinks he's saving the world. He's not... I mean, I think he's telling himself he's doing it to save the world. I think he's really, like, you called him a masochist earlier, and I really think that's what he is, and a, you know, or a, a sadist. And, yeah, because he, he'd said something about, I'm saving my planet from an alien invasion. Like, he's so far into his own mythology and his own conspiracies that I don't think there's anything these kids could do or say that would convince him that, he's wrong or he needs to rethink what he's doing and and here's here's one thing that like yeah pierce is bad okay this is gonna sound terrible this is gonna make me sound terrible yes pierce is bad yes he tortured max yes he's killed people (laughs) the worst thing he's done is kyle shows up and he he makes kyle untie him makes Kyle give him the gun and tells him to go stand behind him because I think he knows he's going to get in a shootout with the sheriff and I think he's doing this as revenge. I think he's setting Kyle up. I think he deliberately set Kyle up to be murdered. No, Emily, he didn't. Yes. He says, get out of here, go hide. He doesn't say, get behind me. He says, get out of here, go hide. 
It's okay. C- listen, it's because this town has zero gun safety <laughs> that Kyle doesn't know how to hide from a gunfight. <laughs> Hold on, I want to see what if, he says. If Kyle's dad had taught him the slightest bit of okay, one deductive reasoning <laughs> or two. <laughs> Basic gun safety, you don't stand behind someone who's going to get shot at. I really, I really liked how this played out, though. Like, the the sort of parallels from the pilot to now of Max healing a gunshot wound. I like it. Yeah. I think, okay, so I will take it back. You're right. He didn't deliberately tell Kyle to hide behind him. I almost wish he would have, though, because that would be the worst thing he could have done. Um he is a really good, this actor is a good actor because he sees Kyle, he pretends to be Agent Fisher again, and he sees the gun that Kyle has stuffed down his pants. Again, zero gun safety. <laughs> um, a and loaded he's just like, gun stuffed in his pants. <laughs> he's like, what are you doing with that? You give that to me. Like he, he plays his part perfectly, perfectly. Mm-hmm. But here is where Michael becomes a man, quote unquote. Uh, this is also another scene where I laughed very inappropriately because Pierce dives down instantly and the sheriff unloads his full clip into the projector screen behind Pierce. He just, he doesn't aim at him at all. No wonder Kyle got shot. But there you go. It's time for Michael to become a man. You tell it. So Michael and the sheriff have had like this little, I guess, moment. And I think that's one of the reasons Michael comes out swinging so hard. Is that there's this person who's finally on their side. And we know Michael like is very loyal and so yeah. Michael comes out and does the same thing that he did before with the truck, only to Pierce, and he does end up killing him. And I wonder if if Michael weren't 100% sure if the sheriff was on their side at this point, mm-hmm. I wonder if he wouldn't have come out so hard, you know. Anyway, there's the moment where the sheriff picks the gun up from Pierce's corpse, and he's like, this is my gun. And then he sees, okay, what's funny is at first, there is a huge alien doll on top of Kyle, and that's what's most brightly lit in the scene. And so I saw it, and the sheriff's going, oh, no, no, no. And I was like, why is he upset about the puppet? And then I realized that Kyle was on the ground. Kyle was on the ground behind it. This actor does such a good job because he's like screaming, no, 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 not my son, you know, and he's like, please, please, please help me. And so this is one of like the most emotionally intense scenes for me in this episode because Kyle is all the sheriff has. You know, like, he's got his, you know, there's the dad. And he didn't appreciate him until he was gone. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> this whole season, this whole season, this whole season, it's just like, 
Kyle, you're watching basketball. I'm going to take the thing and I'm going to change it to something that I want to watch immediately. You want to get ice cream? Great. Oh, wait. I have to go go do something about Max Evans. We're camping in the woods, Kyle. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm going to go hunt Max Evans through the woods. There are many, many instances. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I gotta hunt the alien sun. But I wish they would have played this up a little differently because you and I both were like, okay, this is just getting pulled out because everyone's just standing around in shock that Kyle is shot. And we already know that Max can heal. Gunshot wounds. wounds. Yeah. Like, there wasn't a lot of tension after that. It was just the emotional reaction to everyone that really, like... See, I I liked it. I liked that scene. Because everyone stands around? Yeah, well, it's not that long. And we're we're just having the sheriff cry. Then we cut to commercial. And then we cut right into Max laying on hands. Um, (laughs) And giving him a silver handprint. I know. Does this mean that Kyle's going to get flashes when he kisses aliens now? I don't know. I wish that, um, I wish that, um, Kyle and Max would see into each other's minds the way he and Liz did. Also, (laughs) interesting, this time, the blood vanishes when he heals the bullet wound, which did not happen for Liz's dress, because he had to smash that bottle of ketchup and dump it on her. Um, and I guess he's getting better at it. I wonder if it was the if it was the producer's way of being like he's healed, and you don't have to be like, oh no, there's blood everywhere still. So I don't know. It's but in this your shirt, it's in your hair. The blood <laughs> is everywhere. <laughs> this seals the sheriff's Texas? loyalty to Max. Like yeah. I believe the sheriff would walk through fire for Max. Because of what he did for his son. You know, it would have been really funny. What? The sheriff is like, there's a boy back here. He's been shot. And Liz is like, sheriff, that's your son. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a son. <laughs> I'm married to my work. I like that they showed Liz's reaction because she is very emotional about this as well. And you got to remember, she and Kyle were dating. Like, they've grown up together and known each other their whole lives. I liked that little bit of extra, Mm -hmm. you know, extra layers. So. Uh, So Kyle knows now, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know. I I think they might be able to play it off of, like, (laughs) fine. He is a dumb jock a bit. <laughs> um, but Michael's now freaking out. It's Michael's turn because Michael killed Pierce. And he killed he, a man he, with this thumb. He got his wish, if you guys remember, at the beginning of the season. Anytime there was anyone was a problem, Michael was the advocate for murder about if Liz is too much trouble, let's just kill her. If Maria talks, <laughs> we just gotta kill her. Like Alex finds out he's as good as dead if I get my hands on him sort of a thing. And we say this flippantly. Obviously, murder is wrong and a big deal. I don't know, but I, I, I kind of like that of, of just Michael coming to the realization that this really just happened, even though 
It was to save a life. And I've not, having ever been in that situation, I don't really have much to talk about that. But Michael is not good with emotion. And this is a big emotion that he has to deal with. And he deals with it by pushing away everybody he loves, including Maria, and tells her, I love you too much. I can't be with you. <laughs> I mean, that that's, that's a, that's a, what's the word? Mechanism, coping mechanism sometimes. If stuff's just too much, people actively avoid the thing that, <laughs> what? Is this a call out post for me? No! Why would this be a call out <laughs> post for you? Because I hate people now. <laughs> hate is a strong word. I just don't want anyone to text or call me. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's cool stuff for your project. Unless it's cool stuff for my projects. So Michael literally walks off and literally leaves Maria there. Alone. Yep. In the rain. The night you dumped me. <laughs> Am I the Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> But then I love this show because we get two sides of the coin. We get Michael freaking out and running away. And then we get Isabel and Alex. And Alex is like, do what you got to do. I'm cool with it. Like, Alex is so confident in what he has and who he is. And we don't get to see that very often. It's usually for drama's sake. Elena, I can't be with you. Bella, I can't be with you. <laughs> and he's like, Isabel, Ooh. just go do what you gotta Max, do. I'm I just gonna be, be hanging you. out here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So right now the tally is one breakup and one stay together. Who will be the tiebreaker? We'll find out. <laughs> you already know. Um, but we go to the three aliens go on a mission to take out the FBI guys guarding the truck with Nisado's body in it. Mm-hmm. And I would like to bring up a point of order. Emily, how many healing rocks are there supposed to be? Five. And in the episode where we used them, it was very insistent. You have to have all five rocks participating uh-huh. in order to do this sort of stuff. There's only four rocks in this scene. Just the aliens are holding it. Hmm. Sorry, I don't have any answers for you. It's all right. That was honestly my, when in the wrap up, if we rank episodes, that was my least, that was my most hated episode. The river dog one? Yes. Yeah. So they do it. They lay Nisato's body out in some, on some slab in the pod cave in the, in the cool By the diagonal s- rocks. The love rock. <laughs> <laughs> and they all stand around and... I mean, they kind of foreshadowed this by saying, like, Nisato couldn't pass the the scanner test to scan the hand bones in the FBI thing because his bones aren't human. And the, the slab is lit from underneath. And so as they're, like, using the healing rocks and healing him, uh, it phases in and out from human to, like, alien, like, little green men alien. Um, and so... he's a little gray man. Little gray man. But they bring him back to life. Nisato died and they saved him. Wake Nisato up. Wake Nisato up. Can't wake up. (laughs) Save me. (laughs) But yeah, they they woke him up and uh, he solves their problem. Okay, well, first he tells them all their ranks, roles, and destinies, which I hated. And I think I called. 
you that did. Max was like a prince and Michael was subservient to him mm-hmm. and then they gave them wives and I was like I really hate this <laughs> so we find out that Max and Isabel are siblings um, so it's a good thing it worked out that way <laughs> you know growing up as siblings um, and then yeah thank goodness Ugh. yeah but yeah, they all the kids want to know is how do the how does the commu- how do the communicators work? They want to they want to know how to use the orb communicators. I believe we called them the commune orb caters, the commune egg caters. Oh, I like commune orb caters. That's fine. You you commune can do egg that. Caters, whatever. The orb eggs. <laughs> but he's just like. I think he lays this out very well because he's just like, we want to use a communicator. And, and Niseta goes, I can't stop you, but that's a really stupid idea. You know, I like that Niseta doesn't come in and take over everything, even though that would have been a cool dynamic. I really like that. He's just like, okay, it's stupid. And here's all the reasons why it's stupid because other people are looking for you. And you're going to call attention to yourselves, but whatever, do what you want. And they get him to shapeshift into Agent Pierce. He leaves and they immediately pull out the communicators and turn him on. And uh, I didn't mind this with, we finally, listen, we wrap up the season finally getting some answers and... This, I think, is a really good season finale because it wraps up the questions and storylines of season one, and then it's going to give us a little hook of interest uh, to pull us into season two where, like, the Avatar temples flaring all around the world, uh, this signal that they use to... And a hologram of a mom, I think, shows up to tell them more about their destinies. Um, But the... Very Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when that's done, we see some interesting new people and characters around the world that are also notified of this communicator going off and they're dangerous. And so like that is our our hook of this is what season two will be about. So yeah, she tells them basically they're clones that we duplicated your essence. There was a huge war on our country in our on our planet. We took your essence and we put it with human genetics and here you guys are. And Max, you were the leader, and here's your young bride pointing to Tess, which is why she's destined to be there. And that's why, and then Liz is like, I'm out. Yeah. He's engaged. I gotta go. He's got a prince destiny. And I'm like, (laughs) gross. Emily, I don't like this. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I know it's not gonna stick, but uh, when we were watching this episode, I was throwing a screaming fit. I was like, don't break up. Don't. Don't break up. Don't. Also, this show is perpetuating a a repetitive trope about adopted kids in stories. Mm-hmm. Um, about how their birth families are always important, mysterious, powerful um, which can be, you know, a power fantasy for uh, for kids who are adopted, but it can also be 
like a really harmful and repetitive trope, especially for the uh, adoptive families that take them in, that like most stories about adoption, about kids who are orphaned, uh, your Luke Skywalkers, your Harry Potters, your Percy Jacksons, they end up with adoptive families that are on a scale from gruff to horrible. And then, oh no, you secretly have a different family, a better family, and a destiny. And uh, you know what? There should be there should be more positive adoption stories that feature the the love of found families, I feel. I love found family fanfics. Uh-huh. I love them. And I agree, we need more IP, you know, yeah. with yeah. adopted stuff. But but yeah, I think people are getting that. I mean, some people get that. I've, I don't know. I'm I'm currently on a Batman adopts all the foster kids he can find kick Love and that. takes care of them. Um, also, the very, very stupidest reason any couple could break up is you have a destiny. I can't stand in the way. Emily, this is so stupid. I hate Counterpoint, this. I don't think I it's that it. stupid. <laughs> Counter, counterpoint, I think it is. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm predicting season two will be about free will versus destiny. But the, okay. the acting of a heartbroken Sherry Appleby is, oh, as always, outstanding. And I've, okay, this is me going off on reading between lines that may not be there. Liz kissed Max at the beginning, got a flashback of all the stuff that happened, all the PTSD, everything. She understands what people are willing to do in order to get their answers. I don't think she's doing this to save her own skin. That's not how it came across at all. But right. I think she's just like, this is bigger than me. Like, I don't matter. But Max is telling her, nothing has changed. I love you. But that's why you don't make split-second decisions. That's why you have to go think about things. This is why you talk things over in your relationships instead of just flipping your switch between together and broken up. Ugh. But that's how it ends. It ends with Liz leaving. I'm livid. And the four aliens are sitting there together because Liz is, or Tess is ready to jump all over Max. And be like, I so, knew it was meant to be. What happens now, Max? Yeah. And I wonder how much she knows about their previous life having lived with Nisato. Like, did she grow up hearing all the stories about her and Max? Like, has she created this whole fantasy for herself? Or is this going to be a free will versus destiny thing sort of a thing? But I wish they weren't. I wish the final pose wasn't them in front of the love rock. I mean, I know that's where the pod cave is, but I see that rock. All I think of is Michael and Isabel making out. I'm sorry that that got burned into your brain so indelibly, indubitably, permanently. <laughs> All uh, indelibly is is the word you're looking for. Perfect. Indubitably is without doubt, but indelibly yeah. is without budging. But um, <laughs> she has settled this all irrevocably on Mr. Robert. Oh, Megan, you pointed this out. So we do flash all over the world where like little like dings are popping up in houses and stuff. Like light is coming on inside of houses. And these people have this like 
thing where there's like a spinny light and we go to a guy in a car who is sitting here watching the light spin on this little handheld device that he has and he goes it has begun and then we pull back on a shot of new york but i didn't quite recognize it because uh this was filmed in 1999 and the skyline looks different very different so it was just a weird moment do you remember there was a push to rename the second lord of the rings movie yes Sorry, it got written 40 years before. Yeah, yeah. But there you have it. That is season one. In the bag! We did it. You did it, Megan. You're amazing. Yeah, I did. You stuck through thick and thin, mostly thin. Um, And I appreciate you so much for doing that. Aw, I appreciate you. Well... Um, we should wrap this up. Our next Roswell episode is going to be a intermission of between the seasons, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, as Emily and I are going to talk about the wrong theories I had at the beginning of season one (laughs) and do some projections predictions for season two. But then the episode after that, we will get deep into the season two weeds and we will figure out if it will have a better hit or miss rate in season one sounds good megan i appreciate you very much for watching this thank you i love spending time with you this has been fun for me i hope you've had some joy out of it i i the time with you is the joy okay the real treasure are the sisters we podcasted with (laughs) awesome well i'm gonna go get set up for our next episode yep i'm gonna take a nap Okay. I believe in you. I believe in you too. Ready? Break. Ta-da! We've reached the end of Roswell. Oh, thank you so much for coming on this journey with us through season one. And now we get to my favorite, which is season two. Hooray. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening and for leaving your ratings and reviews. We just love it so much. We love hearing from you. We love you so much. I can't even say it enough. Anyways, by the time this gets posted, it will no longer be May 4th, but... Happy Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. I'm currently deciding whether I want to watch the classic Empire Strikes Back, which is my favorite Star Wars film. Or if I go back to the prequels, I'm thinking maybe a little Phantom Menace. Or do I just go crazy and go start with The Force Awakens? I don't know. Maybe I'll just watch all of them. I don't know. But we're so happy that you're here. And I also want to make sure that we give a special shout out and thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm. Thank you again for letting us use this for all of our podcasts because we have quite a few. In addition to our Roswell podcast, Megan and I also do a Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson podcast. Megan is the one who knows everything about Brandon Sanderson and I know basically nothing. And so she has been guiding me through this. 
And big announcement time. We have a new podcast coming out. We're so excited to announce. Megan and I are going to be podcasting HBO Max's Our Flag Means Death. <gasps> oh, I haven't seen it. Megan has seen it probably eight times already. She loves it. Spoiler, I love it. So we are almost done recording all the episodes and we're going to start releasing them. We'll let you know when. Um, but currently we release on Thursdays. So next Thursday, which is May 12th, that is when the next Way of Kings episode comes out. And then on May 19th, that will be our Roswell in between where are they now, where are they going sort of an episode. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, check out our Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at SisMadeMeViewIt for pictures of our pets, Renfair, cool bugs that we found. I don't know, just really great stuff. And with that, we're going to wrap it up for another week. Hope you guys get to go out, do something that you love. And a reminder for those of you guys who are celebrating it, Mother's Day is this Sunday. Make sure you do something nice for your moms. And remember, we believe in you.